evening, church. And so uh, it's good to be in the house of God and see your faces this morning. And to Barbara and I's surprise, my father-in-law's here this morning, he didn't know you were coming. And so um, the kids obviously, Matthew lent across and told me that they had organised it without our knowledge. And so, welcome, good to see you. Praise the Lord. Um, just quickly, before I do get into this, uh, you remember uh, uh, just before, a brother um, David, he was talking about the left and right and we use this phrase for politics, don't we, you know? And so it was interesting because I was reading my Bible just yesterday or the day before in Ecclesiastes and you've read it many times and it just dawned on me because of the translation I was reading just gives you a little bit of a different perspective and sometimes the penny drops. And, um, and isn't it interesting, in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 it says, A wise man's heart is at his right hand and a fool's heart is at his left. And other translations the MEV and the ESV, it says a wise man's heart leans to the right, but the fool's heart leans to the left. And I thought, there you go, it's in the Bible. There's no one leaning left here, is there? <laughs> uh, anyways, that's my little saying. Let's proceed this morning in the Word of God. And so, obviously, Pastor Werner is away over the next, uh, I don't know, six or seven weeks. And so um, that means I get the opportunity to minister predominantly over that period. We do have Mission Sunday next week. Um, and so um, uh, Gareth, who's here with us this morning, uh, there he is, in the back there, he'll be sharing a testimony of his ministry there in New Zealand. Um, and then after that, I'll share a short word uh, as we focus, make that the focus next week. So, uh, but in light of that, I have intended, it's been put on my heart to share with you a word or study. We're going to look at a theme over this period and uh, go through what will um, inevitably bless and edify each of us. Because I know over the course of my Christian journey and my years now, which are heading towards 25 years in the Lord, um, there are many things that were not right. There were many things that the Lord had to correct uh, in, and still is, I guess, in many ways. But um, nevertheless, over that time, the Lord has had to teach and to show me various things as a Christian and also as a minister of his word. And so that has been um, uh, an experience in and of itself. But it has also equipped me for the ministry in which now um, and in other ways in which uh, I'm uh, enabled to minister God's word. And so these issues are close to my heart and there's much that uh, needs to be said but I can say here this morning that the Lord in a sense had to relay a foundation in my life even after years of being a Christian. And, uh, and this can be a common experience for many people because uh, it is important that the foundation of the Christian life is set in place and that it is correct because if it is not then as we proceed in the Christian life we come in through various trials and tribulations and experiences and, um, and these things can catch up with us and the structure of our Christian life or that which we're building upon uh, is exposed to be um, inferior, incorrect 
And so and it leads us to all kinds of uh, problems uh, that manifest within our lives, uh, in our understanding of God, our God and how we walk before the Lord and so forth. And so these things are important. So the Lord had to show me some things and it was liberating. It was re- reviving, it was refreshing. And so um, these are things that I've shared over the course of time but I'm also going to consider them again um, as we go through this series over the next six, seven weeks or however long actually we'll proceed. And so, because what is the foundation of the Christian life? It's not a trick question. (laughs) It's very simple, Christ. Now that might sound like a bit of a cliché but there is so much substance to this statement. There is so much biblically that is associated with this. When, when we say that the foundation is Christ, um, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to have that legitimately and correctly in place. It must be Christ in our lives. Because if we're building upon anything else in the Christian life, it will expose itself over time. God will make sure of that. And so Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians... He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, he says these words, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, this is very important in the context of things because the Corinthians were in a situation where they were uh, factions amongst the assembly and you know that one held to this, one held to that and one said, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And so the foundation was, uh, was not right. Sure, they believed on the Lord, they were saved, praise God in terms of um, those things, but nevertheless they were proceeding upon a wrong principle and uh, Paul wanted to point out that the foundation that is laid and must be laid is Christ, Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to, put, we're going to um, build on that. We're going to uh, add an understanding and a comprehension of that in, uh, as we study and consider what will be the book of Ephesians as we work through this. But thank God for his Holy Spirit. Amen. Even when there are errors, whenever there are things in our lives that are not right, God exposes these things, he brings them through to the surface and then as we get desperate for the Lord, as we seek God and read his word, God begins to open our understanding. The Holy Spirit, amen, is our advocate and he begins to teach us, he begins to guide us and lead us into truth, amen. And so uh, it's in his faithfulness that he takes us in these places and brings us on. So our confidence, amen, is in a, uh, is in a God who loves us, who a God who, who, who helps us and sustains us and even in the midst of our troubles, amen, he faithfully speaks to us to set things right. So thank God for his Holy Spirit. But the overarching theme that we're going to look at is really, if I was to put a term to it, um, I would say, in a sense, it is spiritual discipleship. Okay? I mean, we use the term discipleship and there's a spiritual side to that and a practical side as well. But you can't have the practical side if you don't have the spiritual side. And discipleship, first and foremost, it must be understood spiritually because we are to be discipled into Christ. 
And so discipleship and the process of learning Christ, the process of growing into Christ is imperative in the Christian life. And so we're talking about this overarching theme of spiritual discipleship and how we as babes in Christ, as Christians, go on to maturity in Christ. And so this is the process of spiritual discipleship. Now this whole theme has been something that many a men of God over the longevity of time have wrestled with and grappled with for various reasons because mankind, as we touch the, uh, the word of God, we kind of uh, tend to uh, mix so much error into it. And so then people begin to see the flaws and they begin to read God's word, they get a revelation and so many a men of God over the centuries have written in great detail about these things as they were born out of their own struggles and their own experiences out of their own reading of the Bible. And so um, they have grappled with these realities and so it has led to various men sharing and teaching various concepts of the Christian life. For example, um, T. Austin Sparks, he wrote a book. He called it, uh, it was a prominent book uh, that was called The School of Christ. And it uh, touched upon many aspects of Christian living, Christian experience. Or there was another man, another book that I've read, uh, uh, his name was Deverne Franck, something like that. And uh, he wrote a book called Unto Full Stature. And so again, it's, it's how do we achieve these things? How do we build on that foundation of Christ? Because we are to have Christ formed and we are to grow into Christ and come unto Ephesians, as it says, like, unto full stature in Christ. So this is the process of spiritual discipleship. And so Watchman Nee, he also wrote a book, uh, I think people here are familiar with it and it's also um, something that I'm going to draw upon because I believe that it really does uh, capture the essence of some of the things we're talking about. But he wrote a book and it was a simple tiny little booklet called Sit, Walk and Stand. And he, again, he was grappling with all of these concepts and, he, and so what he began to realise and see in the book of Ephesians itself, because that's what it's based upon, and he began to um, uh, put that forth in a way that was uh, understandable and comprehensible to Christians so that they could grow into Christ themselves. And so many others over the years have grappled with these things and have set out to uh, demonstrate and put into place systematic principles of truth that relate to that which is doctrinal and right before the Lord as it comes to the issue of Christ and the Christian life. Because, again, the issue is the foundation. The beginning of our Christian life, it is important that the right foundation is laid. But then there's not just that aspect, there's also the process of maturity as a Christian. And then there's not only the process of maturity, there is the place of maturity. And so we have these these concepts. We're babes in Christ, we are growing in Christ and we are to grow unto full stature into Christ. Christian maturity, spiritual discipleship. And so what I'm going to do this morning uh, and today is really just an overview. It's just an introduction. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritties of the book of Ephesians. I really want to give an overview of the book before we proceed because I think that's important so that we can have a grasp, a bit of a picture of what we are dealing with and then when we do proceed, we can begin to connect the dots and make all the various connections. So the book of Ephesians is explicitly 
deals with these particular issues. Every book of the Bible is unique. Every epistle written is, uh, teaches us something wonderful about the Christian faith and its doctrines. But the book of Ephesians is unique in that it teaches us about the church of Christ, which we are a part of. For example, uh, Colossians speaks about the Christ of the church. And so we can read a Colossians and we can see its structure and we can see Christ being exalted there and, then, um, and the doctrines that are associated with that. But in Ephesians we're seeing and the emphasis is the church and that means you and I. And so it has direct application to us individually, personally and corporately as Christians. And so one of the key things in the New Testament one of the key themes throughout the epistles and also in the book of Ephesians is this phrase, in Christ. In Christ. It's some over 300 times, I believe, in the, in the New Testament. In Christ. And again, it's not just a cliche. It is so, there's so much truth and substance to this statement that it is imperative that we have a revelation and are set forth in an understanding of this, especially when we begin the journey of the Christian walk and the Christian life that is in Christ. And so, let's consider the book of Ephesians this morning. Now, in doing that, like I said, I'm not going to read any particular text at this point in time. But what I want to just do as an overview is I want us to just break it up for you so that you can understand that the book of Ephesians... Obviously, it consists of six chapters, as it's been you know, set out. It's really just one letter. But in breaking it down, the first three, or in actual fact, there are two various key themes in the book of Ephesians. And the, the first one is our wealth in Christ. Our wealth in Christ. And the second major theme is our walk in Christ. And so this can be broken down a little bit further when we begin to see in the, 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 the six chapters that the first three of them themselves are, are doctrinal. And they teach us about the doctrine. They teach us something very uh, fundamental about Christian truth and the Christian faith and our being in Christ. And so there's a doctrinal aspect and element that is emphasised in those first three chapters. But then in the last three chapters... Uh, there is the practical application that is being expressed on our walk in Christ. So you've got the first three chapters, our wealth in Christ, our walk in Christ. And that's broken up into the doctrinal aspect and then into the practical aspect of the Christian life in which we are uh, 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 commanded to walk worthy before the Lord. And so these things are very, very Important. We must follow the epistle uh, systematically and that is why Watchman Nee himself said and he categorised it into three categories when he said that if we were to look at the epistle to the Ephesians and if we were to consider uh, our wealth in Christ and uh, our walk with Christ, he says there are three key concepts in the book of Ephesians and he, and he summarised them as sit, walk, and stand, and I think that they are appropriate. I think that they are apt as we consider this this morning, because in the Christian life there is a systematic progression of these things. It's there for a reason, and there is this issue of sitting. And we'll again, we're just going to touch upon it. We're not going to go into the scriptures, but we're just going to touch upon it. 
Then there is the issue of walking. And then there is that of which we are to stand in the Lord. And so, think of it this way. If we have a newborn baby, now, does a newborn baby know how to walk? No. Does a newborn baby know how to stand? No. But you see, the first thing a newborn baby does is it learns how to sit. And so, when we are, the Bible tells us that we are babes in Christ. And we are to desire the pure milk of God's word that we may grow thereby. So there is a, obviously a progression, there is a development that comes in the Christian life. But when we are babes in Christ, we are just to grow on the pure milk of God's word. And part of this, as we will see in Ephesians, is we, we are to just to learn to sit in Christ. Now think of this as a newborn baby. Now when the, the, the baby grows, it develops and then it gains the strength to sit. But then it gains the strength um, ultimately to, uh, as it develops, it grows the strength to walk. Then it grows the strength to stand. Now what I mean by stand is not in the passive sense. Okay, Let me just put some perspective on this. When, I say, so when, the, when we talk about standing, uh, you know, you'll say, well, a child usually stands before it walks. Now what we mean by standing is this, is that the child learns to stand on its own two feet and whilst in the midst of walking, doesn't fall over. You see, you've seen a, a child begin to take their first steps and you know they're, they're wavering and you know they tumble here and there but then they eventually gain that stability and strength and then they learn to stand and then when there are opposing forces that would want to kind of knock them over, they have a strength to stand. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about standing. Sit, walk and stand. And so we're babes in Christ. We have to learn to sit. We are maturing in Christ. So we have to learn to walk. And then we are to be mature in Christ and there we learn to stand. Or we have learned to stand. And so that's the, and then the conclusion we draw from that is quite obvious. You can't stand unless you've learned to walk. You can't walk unless you've learned to sit. Okay? So we've got to, how you, see, you can see here the progression. But this is important for us to point these things out because I know in my experience, in my own personal life, in my ministry, and that which I've observed, is that there are common errors that can creep in. And what can happen is uh, we, uh, we can be so fixed on getting people to walk that we haven't taught them first to sit. This is important. Because, you know, we want to get up on the Christian, we're Christians now, amen, we want to get up and running, you know. And so we want to just, yes, I, oh, I'm in this thing, and then how many people end up falling flat on their face? And it's a, it's, it's a common thing, it happens to us all. But you see, the first thing we have to do is we have to learn to sit. And so this is imperative because, like I said, Christian workers, ministers uh, have all tried to make people walk before they can uh, sit and stand before they can walk. And so again, this is very, very important. What's the call of the Gospel this morning? Peter Jones, we had him a couple of weeks ago. What did he preach on? What was his emphasis what is the call of the gospel? Jesus himself said this. He said in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labour 
and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest. You know, you, you don't rest standing. You rest sitting. Amen? Some of you will say, you know, lying down. But, but um, in the concept of sitting... And so rest is very, very important and it is compatible with this phrase to sit in Christ or to be at rest. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And it's that sense of rest in Christ Jesus that is, uh, really must be the foundation of our Christian experience. You see, because uh, we are to have rest for our souls. There are people that labour and they are heavy laden because of the circumstances of life and when you come to the truth, when you come to the experience of Christ, you experience rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy, my burden is light and Jesus says and you will find rest for your souls. And this is what happens when we experience this gospel of grace. We find rest, we find peace, we find healing and wholeness in the Lord. And Hebrews speaks of this rest, doesn't it? When it talks about there's a rest that we have and that rest is Christ Jesus, amen. The whole emphasis of the Sabbath (laughs) centres around the whole issue of Christ being our rest and we are in Christ and we now, amen, are complete in Him. This is important because we understand that our salvation is not dependent upon ourselves. We, we don't work, amen, for our salvation. We, salvation is not of works. It's not from our self-effort. It's not from our labours or any of these things trying to earn God's approval for we've seen before that it is by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And so when you, uh, uh, by faith, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive, amen, the, uh, God's grace and the salvation that is a free gift from God, the first thing you do is you enter into Christ. You enter, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, everything becomes new and we are in Christ, we are now sitting in Christ. Or we, as Ephesians will see later, says we are seated with Christ. So this is all important. The finished work of Christ on the cross is why we find rest for our souls. Can you say Amen? Because it's all been done. Jesus died. He bore the penalty. He rose from the dead for our justification. And all we do is we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible says you shall be saved. So in other words, we learn to sit in Christ. This is also found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, therefore, or just verse 1, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now think about that because when we talk about sitting in Christ, when we talk about the rest that we have in Christ, we are inevitably associating that with justification. That we have been justified freely by His grace, by His blood in in Romans 3. And so we realise that, so that's why we have rest. 
That's why we can sit in the finished work of Christ and be uh, at ease, amen, knowing that He's done it all for us. So the issue of justification uh, is, is, is important because justification means that we have been made or declared righteous before God and that it's not based on our own works, our own righteousness, trying to appease God by being good. That doesn't get us anywhere. That's working to try and gain our salvation. We now we rest in Christ. We sit in Christ. We have been justified. Therefore, we are free from fear, free from guilt, free from condemnation. See, can you see how when we talk about sitting, that we're talking about peace, we're talking about tranquility, we're talking about completion. We are seated. We are sitting. In Christ. And so that's why the Bible says that, that perfect love casts out fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. See, for even the Christian who's in Christ, we still can sometimes have a sense that somehow, you know, there's this underlining fear of rejection or there's this uh, uh, need to do more to please God. But you see, that, that, that's a flawed understanding, amen, because the first thing you have to do is you, you rest, you sit in Christ, understanding what Christ has accomplished for us and done on our behalf, and we are justified. No more fear. We are in his love, hallelujah. And we are complete in him. So resting or sitting speaks of our position in Christ. Now you can, I'm not going to go into it, but we will go into it, but you can read in the meantime Ephesians chapter 1. Read it in your own time and begin to meditate upon its truths and associate what I've just said, Ephesians 1 and 2, and see what, the, what is being uh, revealed to us in those scriptures. But let's now turn to the issue of walking in Christ. Because once you've learnt to sit, you then must learn to walk. And this is important the, the, our, our Christian walk, we call it. And so this is dealing with the practical aspects of the Christian life. Thank God uh, for the, uh, all that Christ has accomplished. Thank God that we are seated. Thank God that we are sitting in Him and at rest and, and have peace with God. But you see, that's the first phase, uh, amen, in Christ. But then we must progress and uh, then it begins to manifest itself practically in our lives. And so the aim now as a Christian is to learn to walk as a Christian, to walk in Christ. And this, this, this is important for us to understand. And also you have to have the proper foundation if you're going to walk properly and walk worthy before the Lord. I, again, we learn this the hard way. Paul the Apostle himself had to learn it. Didn't Paul talk about in Romans 7 how he, he tried to live and walk the Christian life in his own strength and in his own power and he talked about how he constantly failed, constantly fell short. The very things he vowed he wouldn't do, he ended up doing. Does that sound familiar? Because when we begin to walk in our own strength, that's that we fall exactly into the same trap and we end up at the wretched man of chapter 7 in Romans and real, and because we're trying to live and walk the Christian life in our own strength. 
But you see, what we must learn to do is appropriate God's provision and that is his Holy Spirit through his word, amen, and then through his power and through his grace we can walk and more than that we can walk in Romans chapter 8 and then experiencing the glorious liberty and reality of our life in Christ. But we have to learn to walk as a Christian. Now let me say this, walk you must. I just like to sit. (laughs) Well that's great, but you've got to learn to walk. Okay? Because the maturing process demands that you do so. So you have to walk and you'll find in the scriptures that we are exhorted to walk. We are commanded to walk worthy before the Lord. And so we have this emphasis again in the book of Ephesians, which I'm not going to go into at this point, but you'll see it there as you read and meditate upon the book itself. And so we are commanded to walk. And so this issue or this concept of walking in the Lord or walking in Christ is what we can associate with the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Remember we spoke about justification, being seated or sitting in Christ. Now we have to learn to walk as a Christian and this is the, the, the uh, biblical doctrine of sanctification where we begin now to walk in a manner that is pleasing and acceptable unto the Lord. Now, again, how do we do this? It's a process. Okay, there is, a, I mean, we are sanctified, we are already set apart, we are seated in Christ, but now it has to then manifest in the way in which we live as a Christian. Because let's face it, there are things that Christians do and don't do. Okay, There are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, there are things that are acceptable, there are things that are unacceptable. There are some things that uh, there might be a grey area in, but it's not, um, it's not right for us to be associated with. We have to judge with righteous judgment. So there's a whole array of things that we have to process. But you see, this issue of sanctification is also associated with what we call holiness. Holiness. Sanctified. Holy. And so the emphasis here, or the motivation, is in our love and our desire to please God and to walk worthy before him. We begin, the scripture uses various phrases and it says uh, in Romans 6 that we begin to bear fruit unto God and so remember we're abiding in Christ and we are bearing fruit and we are bearing fruit to God remember so we see it's it's Christ and the the life of Christ that is in us the law of the spirit of life in Christ that begins to manifest itself practically in our lives it is observable but it's not just you know again people say well it's all just it's just fruit we just yield and it all just happens but it doesn't, all, it doesn't work like that. And again in Romans 6 it says present yourselves or your members as instruments unto holiness. Or in other words that means that word present is active. It is in, and so through our effort, uh, through our decisions, through us making the choices that are required on a daily basis uh, that we are living and walking worthy before the Lord. And so that's going to require uh, us uh, yielding and us presenting and us obeying and learning to walk in a manner that's acceptable to God. The Bible says, present our members as slaves unto righteousness. And we know, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
But again, you can, you're getting the picture. And there's, this, there's walk, walk worthy before the Lord. To walk properly before the Lord. And though there are choices that are involved in this, it's not an optional thing. God expects us to walk a certain way. Can you say amen? Now I know we all fail. I understand we all fall short. But that doesn't lower the standard. That doesn't change or make it any different. And uh, you say, well, I can't do it. I know, we can't. But you see, through his grace and through his power and through his spirit, we can. Because that's why we can be free from the power of sin. That's why we can live a holy life. That's why we can live a life that's pleasing to God. That's why we can walk worthy. Not because we're perfect, because none of us are going to attain to perfection, but in in our sincere desire, in our blamelessness before the Lord, in our purity of heart, in wanting to please God, there lies the, the basis uh, of that which pleases the Lord. And yes, we will fail. Yes, we will fall at times. Uh, but amen, we will re- confess and repent and we continue to work, uh, walk worthy before him. In Ephesians, sorry, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, familiar portion of scripture. Says, uh, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. See how it captures that dual aspect. We have to, and it's important to understand this, because people say, well, it's all God. No, it's all man. Now you've got to do this, you've got to do that. No, the two work together. It is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. But then you've got to work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Thank God that you're seated in Christ. Thank God that you are in him. Thank God that you are sitting. But now you must learn to walk. And Paul goes on to say in verse 14 of Philippians 2, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless. Note the word blameless, not not perfect in the sense of perfection. Blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or laboured in vain. We are to shine as lights in the midst of a world that is crooked and perverse. How? By walking properly by walking worthy, by conducting ourselves in a manner that is separate from sinners. Amen. That we don't partake of those things. Our lives is on a different path and a different course. And Paul says, and isn't this the challenge of ministry unto all? It's to, it's to see people who come to faith in Christ, it's see them established in Christ and see them go on to mature in Christ. And this is the challenge. Paul says, um, I may rejoice in the day of Christ in terms of the labour that he has put in and what the foundation that he has laid and that which he has taught and instructed them that they would see the fruition of, he would see the fruition of that. So in the day of Christ, amen, it would be commended and praiseworthy and glorify God. So And so our lives should be. You see, you can't do away with the issue of walking worthy before the Lord. 
Some people, some, and sometimes there's a need to focus on walking, sometimes there's a need to focus on sitting. But people say, well, you know, it's about sitting. But you, of course, you can't learn to walk before you've learned to sit. But once you've learned to sit, you've got to learn to walk. You see, we are to walk in a manner. You see, the Bible talks about us being free from the power of sin. You see, it's, I, I, I can't un- reconcile. I understand um, there can be instances where we find ourselves in a bondage. But you see, the whole emphasis of the scripture is that God, for the Christian, has, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Sin shall not have dominion over you. And we are to live free from the power of sin in our lives. Why? Because we're strong? No. Because of his, his power and his grace that we, God gives us the provision, the provision to live and walk free from the power of sin. That we can walk in liberty as Christians. We can walk in peace having peace and not having to be dominated by fear and worry. We can have joy, amen, even in the midst of circumstances where we are sad, there's genuine sadness and sorrow, we can still uh, have joy. And then there's the issues of the fullness of the blessing of Christ. We can walk in that. We can walk in victory. We can walk in the full assurance of faith. We find these things within the scriptures. And so we will consider as we go through the book of Ephesians that which relates to our walk in Christ. Now the last thing I want to consider and just as we come to a conclusion is that which relates to standing. Sit, walk and stand. Now I said to you earlier that the issue of standing is not some passive position that we have in Christ. In actual fact the posture is quite the opposite. The issue of standing is one that is offensive. It's one that, um, uh, having now learned to walk, we realise that now in, in the Christian life that there are many challenges, there are many things that want to confront us, there are things that uh, are at work against us, and so we have to learn to stand and withstand all those things that constantly come against us. And so this is touched upon... In Ephesians 6, when Paul uses an analogy of a soldier, he talks about warfare. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness. And in light of that, he says that we must learn to stand. And so this is why it's important for the Christian to learn to stand and in standing, you know what it means? You're going to have to learn to fight. The Christian has to learn to fight because we are in a war. We are in a spiritual battle. And so we must understand that we have an enemy and can I say the enemy is not silent, the enemy is not latent, the enemy is active. And uh, you know what? Uh, Thank God that you're saved and you're seated in Christ. But the last thing the enemy wants us to do is walk and let alone stand because once we reach that place of maturity and learn to stand in Christ, uh, uh, he doesn't like that. And so the enemy is at work because he wants to undermine our faith. He wants to bring Christians into failure, into sin, into bondage, into condemnation, into guilt. 
and have people just so ineffective where they don't, uh, they, they, they've, uh, you know, rather than sit, they've fallen off. And, they're not, and so they're not, there's no sense of, of security in Christ. So standing is important. We're in a war. The enemy's not just going to stand back. And so the maturing, listen to this, the maturing of the Christian life involves learning to fight, to stand against the schemes and strategies of the devil. And the ultimate mature Christian knows how to stand. Okay? And the power of his might. See, there's no avoiding this, church. This is a reality. Isn't it interesting that when God took Israel out of Egypt, he didn't take them the direct route because they would have encountered various armies and war and they, God knew that they would get discouraged. So he said, so the Bible says he took them the long way and around to a, so that they would avoid initially see, being exposed to that because God knew that they would get discouraged. You know, God wants us to learn to be seated in Christ. And then to walk in Christ. But you know, to stand in Christ, that whole process is going to involve you having to fight. There's a war. Because eventually Israel had to come and then they were going to have to possess that which was already theirs. Possessing their possessions is the phrase I use. And then, in doing so, they were going to have to disarm. They were going to have to fight. And not only that, you can read on and you can see that, uh, that, that that generation even failed to stand and what happened to many of them? They died in the wilderness. Um, the whole generation was, uh, was uh, judged by God and God said you are not going to enter into the promised land, which I promised. Because why? Because they failed to sit and they failed to walk as God would have them so they were unable to stand. And not only that, uh, God brings in the next generation and then you read in, in the Bible into the book of Judges and what's the first thing that God begins to do? He begins to allow the nations to remain there. Why? Because that he may test Israel and he may teach them to know war. That they will understand that they're going to have to learn to fight. Because you can't avoid this. If there was a way around it, I'd say, here it is. It's not. It's, this is it. And uh, in doing so, we have all the resources of, from heaven. God has given us everything we require to win, to live in victory. Our faith, amen, is a victory that overcomes the world. The shield of faith, amen, in, types, in, in relation to all that relates to the armour. This is it, our faith. And more than that, we begin to engage in this battle in such a way that we can withstand and we stand against the enemy of our souls. We learn to appropriate all that is ours in Christ. We learn to take possession of our inheritance. Amen. You see people say, well, all this is automatic. Yeah, it is. It's all yours. God gave it to us. Amen. When we were born into Christ, we received the fullness of his inheritance. But in doing so, that doesn't mean we have possessed it for ourselves fully yet. There's a process of growing, of sitting, of walking and standing before the Lord because all of these are going to have to come into play to live this a successful, victorious, full Christian life which should be the normal Christian life, really, when you think about it. They, they, we associate all these terms but 
really in effect this is what it is so we have to learn to stand we have to learn to fight and in doing so we walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus I'll leave it there this morning I won't proceed to go any further but let me say this as I conclude this is a bit of an overview it's an introduction it's a bit of a foundation because in the meantime next week we're not going to look at it specifically but the week after but take the time to read it take the time to meditate upon those those chapters in the book of Ephesians so when we come back to it we can begin to go through some of these things and you can begin to connect what we've some of the things that we've spoken about today and begin to see how this all ties together and how it all works so that we can be edified, amen? And so for some it might be learning how to sit. For some it might be learning how to walk. For some it might be learning how to stand. But God, amen, wants to teach us all something from this. And so let us come with open hearts. Let us be willing to, uh, uh, to learn and be taught of the Lord. And may God help us understand the truths in this particular epistle. May God help us, amen, to appropriate them all for his glory. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this morning for, Lord, your gospel. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we have become partakers of the divine nature, that we are in Christ, we are seated in heavenly places. Lord, I thank you for what we have, the inheritance that we have received that is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as this introduction, this overview, as this word, Lord, has been presented this morning, God, let us, Lord, consider these things. I pray your people, God, would go to the word, that they would begin to begin to meditate and contemplate these things and begin to already speak to hearts in various ways. And as we work through this particular epistle, Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every individual. In Jesus' name, amen.